Welcome to Forbes Podcasts. Hi, I'm Denise Ristari, and this is Mentoring Moments, a show where women you may never meet will become your mentors. I invite you into my apartment to tap into conversations I'm having with successful women who are sharing their, wow, you need to know these stories, stories that propelled their careers. We'll have a new episode every other Tuesday, and Mentoring Moments is part of the Forbes Podcast Network, produced by Fractal Recording. Mickey Agrawal has what she calls ding, ding, ding moments. Those times when she sees things that suck in the world. Things that don't just suck for her, but for millions of people. And she figures out how to fix them. Like when she got stomach aches caused from pizza, she realized she wasn't alone. And she opened restaurants in New York City and Las Vegas that serve healthy farm-to-table food. Then she went on to disrupt what she says are the three P words. Three words that are taboo. Periods, pee, and poop. She started with periods and launched Thinks, the fashionable period underwear that won't leak or stain. Then she launched Icon, panties for women who experience light bladder leaks. And then came Tushy, a portable bidet because Mickey believes there's got to be a better solution than toilet paper. And with her give-back model for all of her products... She's changing lives around the world, especially the lives of girls and women. Oh, and she wrote the book called Do Cool Shit, Quit Your Day Job, Start Your Own Business, and Live Happily Ever After. And she was a professional soccer player. So to give you an idea of what it's like at my apartment right now, Mickey got here, she hadn't eaten all day, and I just happened to have some salmon and some vegetables left over, so I heated those up, made us some tea, and now we're nourished and we are ready to go. So we're going to jump right in into your mentoring moment. So tell me a story that is a, wow, this changed my life, that had such great impact story that you want to share with others. Sure. I would say my my moment was... Um, when I graduated from Cornell University and I just got a job in investment banking and um, my subway stop every single morning was to World Trade Center and I got my job officially September 1st, 2001. And um, I spent uh, July and August training um, working at Deutsche Bank and um, and then September came around and that's when we officially started. So 9-11 happened and we can all, I'm sure if we closed our eyes, can remember exactly where we were in that moment. 700 people in my girlfriend's office died on that day. Um, she worked at Aon and two people in my office died on that day. And every one of my friends who worked with me at the bank had these crazy moments of missing death by just a hair, by jumping, like sprinting underneath a car or running underneath a you know, building that had enough coverage for them to not get shrapnel, like you know, coming down onto them. And for me, I completely slept through my alarm clock on that day. It was the only day in my life that I slept through my alarm clock. Never before, never after have I ever slept through my alarm clock. So it was sort of that, sort of that universe conspiring moment um, for me where it was just like, oh my God, you know, the mystery of life is truly that we just absolutely never know when it's going to end. 
and we could die tomorrow. Like so many people die today. We just don't know. Like if there's one certainty in life is that we're all going to die. It's just a matter of when and how. And, um, so I was 22 years old and I was very lucky that I wasn't 32 or 42 or 52. When that aha moment happened to me, I was young enough to say, Oh wow, I need to reevaluate my life right now and not tomorrow, not in a couple of years where I've just put in my time, um, in this job that I was doing, but, but really be lit up as much as possible right now. And, you know, I, I do believe that people, you know, absolutely should, you know, spend time learning and growing in particular fields, but it has to be in fields that really light people up and light them up and matter and matter to, to you or to them. And so, um, for me, investment banking was not it for sure. And so that is when, what took me on a journey to starting my own businesses, to playing soccer professionally, to being, to doing everything, working in the film business, to doing all the things I wanted to do with my life before who knows when I could be dying. And I think there are so many people who want to take that leap into doing what they're passionate about. So how did you take that leap? Because even when you're younger, it's less scary sometimes, but sometimes it's more scary when you're younger. It depends. It's all very relevant to your experiences and your personality. So how did you take that leap? Well, you know, I think when you're younger, you definitely don't have the same connections or relationships that you do as you get older. So it definitely was, it seemed very scary for me, certainly, um, having never built a business, never raised money, never started anything, you know, at the time. And so, so what I did was, um, I, the first thing I did was I, I had the idea of like healthy pizza. Um, it was born out of a stomachache. I couldn't find, you know, like alternative pizza ingredients anywhere in the city at the time. And so I just, um, decided to, rather than trying to have one-on-one -on -one meetings with different people who I can like get some nuggets of wisdom from, which would take forever. And sometimes people would say, no, I'm busy or, you know, those kinds of, you know, so imagine like, can I pick your brain or can I take it for coffee? Those moments are just horrifying. And the people at the receiving end is also kind of like eye rolling, you know, like I don't really want to meet you, but like, I guess since you're a friend of a cousin once removed, maybe I'll, you know, whatever, but it was still painful. It was annoying. It took forever. And so I said, screw this. I'm not going to do it this one-on-one, -on -one, one by one kind of way. So, um, I put together what I call the meeting of the minds and I basically brought in 20 people from different walks of life. So whether you're an architect, a designer, a creative, a consultant, a banker, uh, an artist, a uh, musician, um, a restaurateur, an entrepreneur, all these different people from different walks of life to come together to, to really talk about my idea in one fell swoop in one night. Now, how did I get people to come and do that? That's, that was, was going to be my magic. question. Yeah. And so what I did was, um, I had to make sure that everybody who came didn't really know each other and they were curated in a way that they were really successful or interesting people in their own right. So when they met each other in the room, they would get a benefit by meeting other people in different walks of life. Also, I made sure that there was free food available. We're all animals. We love free meals. Um, and also made sure that, um, the, the environment in which people were meeting was really nice and, and beautiful. And so that people felt comfortable. People felt like, Oh, I'm walking into a really cool venue. um, having a beautiful free meal and meeting other really interesting people. Yeah. I'll come, you know? So what I, in my book, I call it an MB experience, a mutually beneficial experience. Everything in life has to be MB. Like otherwise it's just 
wouldn't work. Like if I, can I pick your brain to get for coffee? Most of the time I would basically delete that email because I'm just like, I don't know you. I don't have time for this. And I'd rather just keep working on, on my business or supporting people that I really know. So rather, you know, one great lesson was always lead with how can I help you first before how can you help me? Or at the very least, it has to be mutually beneficial. And did you find that people took you up on your offer to help them? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Well, it, you mean, you mean. So when you were saying, how can I help you? That's what, that's how you're approaching them, right? Instead of saying, help me, I need help. You're going to them and saying, what can I do to help you? For sure. So for example, if you're a college student and you're like, you know, rather than going up to someone who you want him to be, him or her to be your mentor, rather than say, Hey, I have a business idea. Can I pick your brain? Which is, you know, quite annoying if you're like a successful entrepreneur to receive that email constantly. But rather you can say, Hi, I'm a college student and I don't have a lot of connections, but I do know the editor of the school newspaper that I can connect you with. And we have about 10,000 students in our school and I will, um, you know, make sure an article is written about you and your business. And would love to make that happen for you. And you're like, oh, great. You're not asking for anything. Great. Okay. And then the article, you know, the article gets written, the, the interview gets had, and then I send you a link and I say, Hey, here's a link to the article written about you that went out to 10,000 students. By the way, I have three questions to ask you. Are you more interested to answer my three questions now than before? Right. Of course. So you always lead with how can I help you first? Even if you don't think you have any connections to anyone, you probably know someone or something that you could do. And that could be offering free service by saying, Hey, I'd love to take all the bullshit work off your plate, you know, work for you for the next two months for free and just take everything you hate and don't want to do. I'll take care of. And, I'll, and, and, and that's it. And they're like, uh, okay, <laughs> sure. Why not? And, and then as you, sh- as you work with them and take stuff off their plate along the way, you can ask them questions. Right. And you're, of course, more likely, more open to answering those questions if you know that this person's helping you out for free. Right. And I think one of the really big points to make is you have to follow through on that offer. There's someone I know that will always say, what can I do to help you? And but never follows up on the what you can do to help me. That's annoying. And it, yeah, it's very annoying. And it's very not genuine, right? So when so it makes me feel about her as a as an overall person that she's not authentic. She's not genuine. So not just in that one piece, but in a lot of different pieces. So when she says something I kind of think, she really authentic because she offers to help but she never does help. Yeah. And yet there's a young woman in Canada, Rumit, who I met um, at the Forbes Women's Summit. We got together. We met before that, got together. And she always, when she emails me, she always ends with, and my friend, what can I do to help you? And when I was speaking at Stanford last year, I, I was like, oh my God, I'm speaking at Stanford. And, and that's bigger for me because I'm a college dropout. So that was a big deal to speak at Stanford. And I thought, what am I going to speak about? So I thought, well, Rumit is a professor in Canada and... I'm going to call her. And I said, you know, I know you're busy. She was getting her PhD at the time. And she was like, that's okay. I'll jump on the phone with you on Sunday. And she spent an hour with me saying, this is what I think kids in my kids in the classroom, these are the types of stories they like to hear. This is what I would want to hear from you. And that was just so invaluable to me. It was priceless to have that feedback. I love that. I love that. It's right on. It's like, how do you have integrity with your words? I mean, that's all you've got. And so if you get to be authentic, you'll build a great reputation for that. If you're not, then you won't. So I want to get into you being a disruptor. 
Okay. Because I love being a disruptor too. So tell me about how you come into these ideas to disrupt. What is the first step that you come into? You, what, what happens in your brain that says that needs to be fixed? Yeah. So I always um, look at businesses that I want to start um, through the lens of three questions. This is also in my book. Um, the question, the first question I always ask myself is what sucks in my world? Like, does this thing suck in my world? For example, having stomach ache sucked in my world, you know, having period accidents sucked in my world, you know, having a dirty bum sucked in my world. Right. Um, question number two is, does it suck for a lot of people? So that means, um, if it sucks for more than just me, like for example, if, have you ever had any allergies or which by the way, one in five Americans are lactose intolerant, one in five Americans now eat gluten-free and so many Americans are, you know, intolerant to so many different types of foods today. You know, every single woman has experienced a period stain, a leak, an accident at some point in their lives. Every human in America, if they don't have a bidet, has a dirty butthole. <laughs> so question number one, what sucks in my world? Question number two, does it suck for a lot of people? And if it does suck for a lot of people, then ding, 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 it's an opportunity, right? And then question number three, which is the most important question is, can I be passionate about this issue, cause, or community for a really long time? There's that famous saying, it takes 10 years to be an overnight success. And that's very true. Um, People think, oh, wow, things just popped up. I've been really thinking about it, working on it for really 11 years. And we started, we started developing the technology five years ago and, you know, really launched it a year and a half ago, but have been, you know, came up with the idea with my sister 11 years ago. So it feels like it's, you know, just popped up, but it does take 10 years often to, be, to become an overnight success. And what is success to you? I think success is, um, the intersection of impact, you know, having deep impact on the world, um, uh, you know, a cultural transformation, um, and being part of this cult- cultural transformation. And then of course, building a business that, you know, does well for your investors and for your family. And you have confidence. I mean, I, th- I think, I think you have to, either it's naivete or confidence, <laughs> you right. call it what you may, but I think you have to definitely have a healthy level of naivete and a little, you know, and definitely like, you know, athletes confidence, you know, to like, when you go on, you step on the field, you have to leave all of your, you know, crap on the sidelines and you step on the field and you focus and you just dial in and, and, and hope for that moment of, of a state of flow. And, and I think, you know, being an athlete for, for my entire life has really helped in the business world and be able to like face an opponent, opponent. like I'm, I'm petite, right. I'm five foot one and a half that half, that half inch matters. <laughs> um, but you know, in order, I've always been pitted against the biggest, tallest players because I, you know, if, um, the opponents always put them, put these big players against me. So I had to always be, you know, have a, an air of confidence, even if I was slightly gulping, you know, on, underneath in order to really, you know, in order for us to, to, to win and for us to beat, to beat these, beat, you know, our opponents, we had to, Definitely. It wasn't just a physical game. It was very psychological too. So I think that prepared, prepared me a lot for the world of entrepreneurship. And do you ever have periods when you, well, I'll explain the question. I'll ask the question. I'll explain it when you lose your groove. And what I'm getting to is when I was in my thirties and you're in your thirties, I was on paper, my life looked great. I was married. I had a big house. I had the perfect job, the corner office and corporate America but my life was unraveling. I was getting divorced. I was getting bored with my job. 
And I was moving, I being part of the divorce, I was moving out of my 7,000 square foot house and I, everything was just chaotic. It was, nothing was making sense to me. And I was sitting on the floor. My daughter at the time was three years old. The movers were there and dividing up what belonged to my soon-to-be ex-husband, what belonged to me and my daughter. And I was just like, this is not the life I want. This is not the life I dream- that I ever imagined I would be having. And I was sitting in my walk-in closet, and I was just crying. I mean, tears were just streaming down my face. And the moving man, who was like six foot four, this burly guy with a do-rag, comes into my walk-in closet, sits on the floor with me, and puts his arm around me and says, I think you lost your groove. You need to find your groove. And I thought, after all the years in therapy, I'm now getting some of the best advice ever from the moving man because I had lost my groove. I had lost sense of who I was, but yeah, it was, it was really difficult. But on the outside, I was like, I got it all together because that was the persona that I had to project in at work as well as in my personal life. I had to be strong. I had to be able to pull this off and my, you know, saying to my daughter, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And, and trying to believe that, but deep down it was scary. So do you have those moments where you feel scared, like you think you've lost your groove? Oh, my gosh, so many times. I think, you know, um, I have a team of like 30 and of, of, of thirty employees and mostly women, and I cry all the time in front of everyone or in front of a few of my employees or in front of people, my friends. Like, I cry a lot, and I think it's really cathartic to do that and and to show your weakness and show your vulnerability and show what you're struggling with. And I've been seeing an amazing life coach also for the last 18 months. And that's been transformational for me as far as being able to be completely vulnerable with the things that I'm struggling with. And, um, you know, I think there definitely at some point was a level of, I got to compete with the big boys club and, and try to puff my, we call it amongst my friends, we call it puffy chesty Audi. It's like, Oh, I met this guy, but he was totally puffy chesty Audi, which we were just like trying to like, be, you know, someone he's not, right? And I'm just like, I didn't like him because he was puffy chesty Audi, right? Um, I'm going to use that. Yeah, totally. And just like, we don't, like, it's all, our, our community is all about vulnerability and sharing our, our weakness and sharing our, our, our troubles. And I don't know how not to. I think I wear my heart on my sleeve. I have a really hard time covering up how I'm feeling. Um, if I'm emotional, I let myself be emotional. If I'm happy, I let myself be happy. If I'm you know, I think there's, I think authenticity stems with like, you know, really speaking from your truth within, within yourself. And I, and I would say like for a very long time, I was trying to mask that. I had a challenging, a challenging partnership in my business that, you know, was really not letting me be authentic uh, to who I was. And, um, that had to end, um, because I was really getting, you know, very stressed out, developed a thyroid condition, like, and I wasn't letting my truth come out for a, a, a good period of time. And then when I was able to like get out of that relationship and settle back to being the emotional being and not having to be, you know, so I guess, I guess the word's two faced, you know, where you have to put on a show on the outside and, and on the inside, just be so frustrated that, that my, my coach calls it not being an in integrity, right? Like what you're thinking, feeling, and saying have to match up. So how often are we like, Hey, how's it going? And then in your head, you're like, bitch, you know right. what I mean? Right. Like you're such a, you know, like you totally said you'd do that, but you didn't like, and you're saying that in your mind, but you're not saying that truth and you're out of your mouth. And 
so many people are like that because they're too scared to tell, to share our truth and to be in our truth. And, and it took me a long time with my coach to, to understand what that meant, you know, what integrity meant and what, what, how cathartic it was to really emote and to, you know, to share what you're actually thinking and feeling out of your mouth. And it is, it's very cathartic to do that. And so the last 18 months I've been really practicing that and it's been transformational for me. My thyroid levels have, have normalized. I'm, you know, I'm totally like back in my groove because, um, because integrity is, is a real big part of that. But you're an entrepreneur and you're the owner of the company. So you have somewhat of a luxury that's, um, or at least I think you may disagree with me that if you're working in corporate America, if you're in the financial industry, if you're a lawyer, you, if you cry, that could really harm you and harm your success. I think the industry has to change. You know, I think, I mean, you know, there's no crying in baseball for sure. Right. In a lot of ways, you know, it's, it's like, Oh, this person cries all the time. It's kind of frustrating, but if the person cries like, and you, and you take notice and you're just like, wow, this is very, you know, this, this, this must really be impacting them. You know, I think with us, like I do cry, you know, my mom, she, I'm like my mom, she cries with like sappy commercials. And so I do tend to be quite emotional, but I think when you're, when you're around emotional beings, which, which human beings are emotional beings and you allow yourself to be emotional, I think there's a level of true, you know, c- companionship camaraderie that forms rather than being like professional and rigid. And, you know, one of my employees, she's amazing. And and she, you know, prior to working with me, she's been having to be super professional via email, via like text and and, and in all communication, she's super rigid, you know, and I've been over the last two years been really breaking her down and just saying, look, like I don't respond well to your, like, I need smiley faces. I need exclamation points. Like I need love in your voice. I need smiles when I see you. Like when you see me, like I can't operate in a way that's, that feels like corporate America. That's just not who I am. Or I, and I can't have people around me who act that way. And she was like, no one's ever given me permission to really be myself. And so I'm really grateful for that, but it's taken her some time to really open herself up because she's been doing that for so long. Right. One of the things that's really hit me recently, there are three women I know that are in their thirties that are pregnant that wanted, tried for a few, have been trying for a few years to become pregnant and six, finally they were successful, but they will not tell their firms, their companies that they were pregnant because they thought it would harm them. And I thought back to when I was in corporate America and I did. I didn't. I never felt that way. I, I never felt that way. And I think part of that was just our department. It was led by women, and we were all friendly, and we could talk about those things. But I thought I would not want to work anywhere that I would be hiding my pregnancy because I thought that would harm my chances. But yet, it's real. It's it's very real. And so I think you're in a position where you can be authentic and you put yourself in that position where you can be authentic. And I put myself in those positions where I can be authentic, but I look at so many women who don't. And my advice to them always is, and I understand it's not so easy. You just can't leave your job. You have financial responsibilities. You're in your late third, whatever your, whatever your responsibilities are. It's not just so easy to say, well, I'm going to say goodbye to that and I'll just do what I want to do. That's very difficult. But I always say, you need to look at what you're going through right now and what you're doing. And if that doesn't feel good, then you need to figure out a way as you're moving forward 
to do something that feels better because when you have that child, you're going to be very authentic and things are going to happen in your life. And it's really not fun lying or trying to be, well, I'm, I'm doing something else when you really are at the field trip with your kid or whatever. Right. right? And it's just not a way to live. For sure. But you're fortunate in that you do have an entrepreneurial spirit and you do have your own company, but a lot of women don't. And so I see that struggle and I don't, we're not going to put the answer today. I'm not looking for it, but I think more and more women are standing up for themselves and saying, no, like, (laughs) you know, clearly they're executing women execute with such detail, with such precision. And women are extremely hardworking and can multitask, you know, better than any man can because we're used to like breastfeeding and being on the phone and cooking and like vacuum, you know, like doing all the stuff all together and working and taking care of all the things. Right. And so it's just like, you know, in business, women are just great at getting a lot of stuff done very quickly, multitasking while potentially having a baby on your nipple. Like that's okay. And so I think as, you know, more studies come out where women are outperforming men in so many different categories, um, especially women-led companies, you know, women in C-level, C-suite, uh, women workers are outperforming men in a lot of ways. The company founders will have no choice but to accommodate for these very normal transitions that women go through. Well, I'm very excited about your generation taking the lead because I think our generation, we started, but we had, we have not gotten to where we need to be in women being authentic and not hiding their pregnancy for fear that it could hurt their jobs. I mean, that's just crazy, but it's real. It's, it's a real crazy and it's real, it's very sad. Mm-hmm. So family, do you want to have a family? You're in your yes. 37? Yes. 37? And I actually, yeah, this is, um, a very auspicious time for, for myself and my partner. Um, he and I are officially, um, starting to try, uh, to have kids this year, um, which is a whole new sort of, I guess, chapter in our lives. You know, it's very, I'm very, I'm very like scared, but like, it's like the pregame butterflies feeling, right? It's just that like, will I be a great mother? Like my parents, my mother was to me. Will I be a great parent? Like both my parents were to me. Will I make the sacrifices that my parents made for me? I hope the answer is yes. I really believe it, 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 you know, it's in me, but I've been independent and for my whole life. And so, um, I think the idea of being as selfless as possible for someone that desperately needs you is going to be a new and a new learning. And I think it'll open me up even more to more vulnerability. Do you think it'll impact work? Does that scare you at all? I mean, I, I can see myself having my baby on my nipple as I take conference calls. And as I'm, you know, working, I think, you know, my kid will be with me in my office or I think my, my employees will love to have a kid around all the time. Or I also have an amazing partner who'll take care of the kid, like, you know, when, when I, when, when needed. And I think, you know, as we go into this more flexible, you know, work environment, it's not, you know, it's not a uncommon for, for women to have, to get a lot done while having a kid. And you're, you have a competitive spirit. For sure. For sure. Obviously you think that's good, but to have a competitive spirit, did that come from soccer? Is that just something you've always been? Um, Tell me how it plays out to be good for you, because I I think it does work to your advantage. Yeah. Um, I would say yeah. I mean, I, I think again, starting to play soccer from age four and, you know, learning how to, you know, how to win and how to lose and how to pick yourself back up when you do have a tough 
game or when you get hurt or when you get pushed around how to stand up for yourself and how to, you know, you know, push yourself through to victory. If you're in a tournament playing six games in a day and how to, you know, your, your muscles are so fatigued, how you get through, you learn how to build such stamina and such strength and such, and such, you know, I, I think what I, what I like to call calloused hands, you know, people who have soft hands, you know, haven't been through a lot but people who have like rough calloused hands. You can, you can sense that they've been through stuff and, and they can face things with a lot more, you know, with a lot more confidence than if you were, just soft and you just, you know, fold, you know, if, if running into an obstacle, I think it taught, it taught me a lot about, you know, overcoming obstacles. So when you do though, mess up and have come head on into an obstacle, how do you fix it? What do you do in business, business or personal? You can pick. Yeah. I mean, I think you would just have to just, just fess up. You know, my, my coach calls it, um, uh, cop tuitiveness. You got to cop to your shit right away. You know, have, cop, have a really strong sense of cop tuitiveness. Uh, think, Oh, if you realize that you were wrong, just say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And if the other person was wrong, you expect them to say, I'm sorry right away. And then, you know, in my relationship with Andrew, for example, we have a, you know, so from the very beginning of our relationship, like even for, let's just say we're in a fight, we get into some stupid fight or an argument and then we kind of get over it. And then we immediately say fresh start. And then he's like, fresh start. And as soon as we say fresh start, that means that that fight is gone. We're back to being lovers and totally fun and totally great again and not holding on to a momentary nonsensical fight, you know? So we, it's been so sacred. Fresh start has been so sacred for us where, um, we are able to get over things very quickly. And if the person's not ready, if like, if let's say I'm not ready for a fresh start, I'll say I'm not ready for a fresh start yet. And then what happens? And then I go take a walk or I go do my thing and I come back and I said, I'm ready for a fresh start. And then we have a fresh start. We're like, as if nothing ever happened. So I think that's been really healthy for us and um, healthy, healthy for our, our relationship to just move on. Because, you know, another thing is like, will this matter in a year? You know, he, Andrew always asked me that. Will this matter in a year? Right. Like, you know, we're fighting with the dumbest thing right now. Will this matter in a year? And it's just like, no, it won't. It's like, okay, well, can we just, I'm sorry. Like it was a misunderstanding. Can we have a fresh start? Like, yeah, we can. <laughs> and then we're back. So just perspective, like offering some perspective really helps too. I think it's really important to figure out how important it is. I think sometimes, and I'll speak for myself, I get into the moment of, and it's so hard to get out of that. I'm just so furious and everything just just seems to go into that camp of I'm so furious that nothing can make you exactly. happy. So a friend of mine taught me this trick that you put that feeling that you're having into a pink balloon and you attach the pink balloon to your belly button with a pink ribbon and you put those feelings and thoughts in that pink balloon and then you cut the cord and let that pink balloon float away and those feelings float away and you may have to cut that pink balloon 50 times but it's a great way to channel that mm. i'm just want to you know i want to kill my i want to kill that person feeling that you have that you're able to put it in there and pink being a healing color that's why she picks pink then you're able to put it off into the universe and i love that i love that so i so i've been you know meditating um like just you know like almost every morning, like 10 minutes a day. Um, and one of the things that they talk about in, in a similar context is, you know, if you're trying to like sit there and like, you know, focus on your breath and then thoughts come in and thoughts come in and thoughts come in, you just have to like acknowledge like, Oh, there's a thought or there's a feeling 
oh, there's a thought again. There's a feeling. And you don't stress out be like, oh, what am I thinking? Or what am I feeling? She's like, oh, there's a thought. And then you're like, when you, as soon as you're, cause, cause instead of being lost in thought, you just come back and you're like, oh, that's a thought or that's a feeling. And then you'd like come back to your breath because you just acknowledge that it's a thought or a feeling. And then, and then you get to focus back on your breath. It's just a, a an inter- interesting technique to just say, it's like, a, it's just saying something to yourself to get yourself back. So the same way that it's like, I'm so mad. I'm going to put the pink balloon and put all the bottles up in this pink balloon tied to my belly button. So it's that action of like putting in the balloon, tying it to your belly button, then chopping it up. All of that, like that, it's almost like a ritual to then let it go. And then you've given yourself a moment to take these four steps to let something go, which right. is brilliant. Yeah. I love it. I love that. I'm going to use that. It, it really, it really helps. And she would sometimes say to me, you don't put the person in the balloon. So you have to be you careful not to confuse that because you're not getting rid of the person. You're getting rid of the feelings yeah. that you have that you're able to just send them off to the universe. And I have to say, it really does work. That's great. It really works. So are there things that you want to talk about that we haven't, because we're just kind of chatting like we do when we have lunch, that you wanted to talk about, that you want to tell people that we haven't covered? Yeah, I mean, um, I definitely, you know, when I think about business, um, I do think about it through the lens of conscious capitalism. And I think, you know, the future of business is all conscious, is a conscious business. Um, so when I think about all three of my brands, whether it's Thinks, Icon, or Tushy, which are in the, in the spaces of period P and poop. Um, I just love that, that you're disrupting the three P's. Yeah, the three P's. Um, and, you know, you, like not only are we, you know, really upgrading the first world experience, the American experience, where toilet paper is really just bad for you, you know, and by itself it's causing 26 million cases of hemorrhoids, urinary tract infections, and yeast infections every single year, which could be alleviated by simply using a spray of water, um, or whether it's Icon, which is like the only offerings are Depends and Poise for the incontinence market, or a period underwear that doesn't exist, and so women are still leaking and staining. So really thinking that the thought process of like elevating the first world experience while bringing you know, basic human rights to people in the developing world. And I think that's a key component to like what keeps us motivated, what keeps me motivated, is that for every pair of underwear sold, we are funding a pack of reusable menstrual pads that girls in the developing world. For every icon underwear sold, we are funding fistula operations for girls who are consistently, who rip a hole in their bladder and consistently pee themselves and they get put in these fistula camps to die. And rather than doing that, we just, we help, facilitate surgeries, which gets them back into communities right away. Um, or with Tushy for every Tushy bidet sold, we are funding clean latrines and developing communities that desperately need them in India. So, you know, I, what I, the, the point is, is that, you know, we, when we talk about social entrepreneurship, you know, one of the things that I, I always love to sort of remind people is that purpose is your best motivation, you know, having purpose, um, as an entrepreneur, even if you're going through like the pains of growing a business, you know, like and you're at the lows or low or the lowest point, you can just close your eyes and remind yourself that you're really helping people in the developing world in addition to helping people here, which keeps me motivated on a consumer standpoint. Um, so much, so much better for, or so much like more interesting for a consumer to support a product that has a give back than one that doesn't. If two, if all things are created equal, except one has a give back and one doesn't, of course, as a consumer, you can vote with your dollars and support projects that matter. So on both sides, purpose builds motivation. So when, if there are people listening who are interested in starting businesses or who are working for places, you know, having purpose within your company is so critical to keep it, keep yourself going. And that passion really keeps you going, right? It really drives you to keep you going. So I think it has so many different pieces of so many different benefits that 
it keeps you going. You're helping the world. You're helping the this country. You're helping the developing world. And it's the, it's just what you're doing is so needed. And it does. It's every time I see you, there's that fire in your eyes that it just gets stronger. It doesn't go away. You don't get that. You're not that weary entrepreneur of, oh, this didn't work or I don't believe. You just keep adding to the things that you do believe in. And that is huge for entrepreneurs. I see a lot of young women burning out in their 20s and 30s as they're getting into their 30s um, being an entrepreneur because it's hard. It is hard. And being a social entrepreneur is really hard. So I you know, I give you so many claps and, um, you're, you're very inspiring. And I think to young women and young men and all of us of all ages to see that that fire in our, in our eyes, that it could be the same as the fire in your eyes. Mm. We just have to all find what we're passionate about. And I've had those experiences, as I've said, as much as I've loved being in corporate America and I loved my job and it was a great run. It wasn't what I was put on this earth to do. And, Right now I'm doing what I love. Is it the ultimate of what I was put on this earth to do? I don't know, but I'm going for the ride to find out. But for right now, it is. That's awesome. And it just, it just, you like waking up in the morning. It feels good. Yes. And that's my advice to everyone is, as I said, it's not always easy. You know, I, I stayed at USA Today for years before I was able to leave because financially I just couldn't make that move. And, but I had a plan to do it. And so I would keep working towards that plan. Yeah. And I, I think that's really important too. People should definitely have at least six months to a year of savings before they go out off the, on their own. Cause then you don't want to be like struggling with paying your rent while you're trying to build your business and that take over your mind. Because as Maslow's hierarchy of needs says, like if your physiological needs aren't met first and how do you go into any other realm if you can't take care of your own self. So having a level, it was smart on your end to really take care of yourself and to know that I have to do this right now. Um, I will take the leap. This isn't my calling forever, but I also need to make sure that I'm taken care of and to have six months to a year worth of savings before you go off on your own, I think is actually the smart right thing to do. So I'm going to wrap this up on that note. Yeah. So I'm a 20 something or a 30 something and I want to leave my job. What would you tell me? I want to start something. I want to be an entrepreneur. Well, first I would ask you, is your idea a one of one idea? Is it one of many or is it one of one? Explain to me how you are disrupting a category that's sorely needs disrupting and, um, and that is completely unique to another, to any other company that exists. Most people will be like, I want to open up a clothing line or this or that. I'm like, that's not one of one. That's one of many. So I think there's so many problems in the world. Um, I think it's so important to pick a problem to solve that really needs solving and not just a vanity project because you want to open up another fashion brand or another this or another that that has like polka dots, you know, as like your main thing, you know, instead of it actually having something that matters to the world where you can really change something in the world. So I would, I would say really consider like what that one of one idea is. And if you do have one of one of one idea, then to start creating the meeting of the minds to hash it out. And then in the fundraising process as well, you know, do it in a way that's inclusive and then read my book, <laughs> do cool shit. I love your book. It has so many great tips. And I think as entrepreneurs, they're always in search of how do we do it? And your book gives those tips on how do you do it? 
So I agree. Do cool shit. Yay. <laughs> so Nikki, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And do check it's- out our brands, which are shethinks.com with an X icon, undies.com, hello tushy.com. And then if you want to come to my restaurant, if you're based in New York, check out eatdrinkwild.com. I love how you have that just down. <laughs> you got that one. You thank it. you so much. Thank you. We found out that we never want to be puffy, chesty, outy, or a data guy who is one of those. We learned the meaning of coptuitiveness. You got to cop to your shit right away. And the next time you're angry with someone, take a deep breath. And when you're ready for a fresh start, just say fresh start or go find a pink balloon. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear your thoughts about today's show, so please rate and review. And to get the next show delivered to you the moment it's available, please subscribe. You can find today's show notes at Forbes.com slash Mentoring Moments. You just enjoyed a Forbes podcast. To learn more about our other shows, visit Forbes.com slash podcasts. Thank you.